Hello and welcome back to the Creator Spotlight podcast, the show focused on highlighting the very best of your favourite creators. On today's episode, I have a very special guest in the form of Mr. Tom Cowling, otherwise known as Tom slash slash drives on YouTube. Welcome, Tom. Nice to be here, Alex. Nice to be here. Finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm hoping to cover a lot of interesting stuff with you. You mentioned um, last time we spoke that you were a bit of a Mac nerd as well. So I'm yeah. hoping that you'll have a few a few questions for me in that in that regard as well. Yeah, sure. Um, now, for those who don't know much about you, so you make like we make videos online on YouTube uh, primarily, um, all about the world of classic cars and mm-hmm. well, Rovers and MG specifically. What I find quite interesting, I'm quite into that manufacturer as well. I've got a Rover myself. Um, mm-hmm. For I think we're similar age, so what people might be quite surprised about is that people our age are interested in such old cars from like from a bygone era like way before yeah. well, we may have been either not born or got very very young at the time so mm. what what basically just give me an overview of what led to your interest in in one making videos and then two sort of what gave you that fascination with the rover initially well um i'll probably do the uh the fascination with rovers first because that leads it straight into the video sure um, so for me, I've loved these cars since I was about eight years old. I got given a uh, tiny Rover badge on the Rover Twenty Five, Rover Two Hundred, the earlier models. They had a um, po- they had two badges on the rear post of the car, as well as yeah. obviously the front on the rear one. Um, I got given these tiny badges, uh, as well as the big one. I was like, "Oh, this car has th- four badges. That's incredible! <laughs> it's such a mundane thing to be excited about." But then that led me to you know browsing the web through a through a CRT on a um, Pentium 4 and <laughs> re- reading all about Rovers. Um, one of the best websites, probably AR Online for that, Austin Rover oh, yeah. Online, as it was called at the time. Absolutely brilliant, run by Keith Adams. That was the thing that sort of cultivated my obsession with these cars. And then, of course, um, I found out a few weeks later that the company didn't actually exist anymore. Um, after doing all that research, which was just it, it just blew my mind that something like that could happen. And then, of course, it snowballed from there. Um, and I ended up uh, putting off getting a Rover 75 for many, many years. Um, and then I eventually got one in 2019. And that led to me creating the videos um, that I make on the channel now. More because I sort of bought it because everybody was quite negative about Rovers at the time. It wasn't really as much of a cool niche as it is now, if you can call it that. It wasn't as popular as it is now. The car was sort of purchased by me as a bit of a... If someone said to me that um, they sort of saw it as a bit of a joke, the reason why I bought that car, but I actually do really like it. So I bought this the gold Rover 75 that appears in a lot of my videos. And um, I took it on a road trip around Europe, around 5,000 miles. And I just fell in love with it. I thought it was a fantastic, absolutely amazing car. And... I looked on the internet, there was, there was videos, yes, but there wasn't like a load of videos about them. I said, well, what if I just tell everybody how much I like this? And I've always been into presenting and creating a uh, musician. Um, oh, right. I've, of course, I've done a few things, um, other creative outlets as well. And I just thought, hey, I'll make a video on it. And the rest is history. I've sort of found um, a bit of a niche with the British classic cars and um, classic cars in general mainly of course rovers and yeah it's been it's it's absolutely fantastic and that and i think really getting stuck into the creative process is probably one of the best things about this Mm. Um, and what a lot of people is lost on a lot of people is um 
of course, social media is all about numbers, isn't it? It's all about engagement. It's about influence. It's about followers. It's about likes. It's about comments. It's about engagement. Um, but one of the things that have sort of kept me away from focusing on that too much is the fact that I'm really quite interested in what I like and what I do. And it is hard to, you know, not look at that and not hyper-focus on that. And um, that's one of the things that I think has been to my to my benefit this past um, year or two is I've just gotten over that whole numbers game of staring at it. Of course, everybody wants their content to do well. Of course they do. But I think the main thing for me is just that, just the the love of what you do and getting really stuck into that creative process and coming out at the end of it and actually and watching what you've what you've done is just fantastic. I just think it's amazing. And knowing that there's quite a lot of people engaged with what I do and what we do as a community is just fantastic. And it, it, is, it is truly brilliant. I think some of the videos that of yours that really show that, um, some of the, the big long explainer videos where you have... Not necessarily you doing anything outside. It's, it's you've got a load of like B-roll, and then you're just talking about something. You can tell by the way, one, it's produced, the way you're talking about it, and two, like the way it's just all brought together. You can tell that mm-hmm. it's really something you're interested in. You can, you can watch some videos. There's like there's like some YouTube channel Apple Explained. They used to be very much. Um, it's this one guy just talking about different Apple things basically, yeah. and it used to be very much. It was quite interesting, but now it feels like it's very. He's only making the videos because he he has to. And it feels yeah, like you can yeah. tell that when you're watching it. Whereas with yours, it's just you can tell that you're really, really interested in the subject, and it and it, it comes through from from watching it. So and yeah, it makes, and that, yeah, that's makes good. It really interesting. Yeah, that's exactly what we want. Yeah, yeah. It, that's it. It's trying to avoid that whole um, doing it because you have to because you, it makes you know money because yeah, you yeah. get you get ad revenue from it because it makes you popular. It's the whole the it's just for the love of it, and it's that's what's brilliant. It's like with the MG Rover prototype thing. I didn't know that was going to do as well as it is as, as it did. Um, I just wanted to see some cars not as sat outside. Yeah, and I just you know I drove down to Longbridge off my own back. I just went down there just for the pure for the hell of it because I was passionate about it. And I was like, these pieces of history are outside, and of course it went bananas. And here we are, um, of course with with all these videos that they ended up being, I think it was the daily express ended up calling me a motoring expert. Yeah. I thought, I think they've got the wrong dude. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. And doing it for the love of it is the most rewarding thing to do. And that's what, that's what really keeps me going and really does inspire me to keep, keep making videos. Yeah. Actually on the side tangent, I've never actually been to the, 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 the gates where it is. I went there the mm. other week. I was surprised how empty it is. Just it you is. can see, you park just outside. You think, oh, there should be loads of buildings. It's just there's nothing there anymore. It's so yeah. sad, but yeah, it's sort of the bones of an industry, isn't it? It's completely yeah. demolished. That was the last proper, you know, um, big mass production British-owned British car manufacturer, and it's just been absolutely decimated. It, it, it's incredibly sad for obviously the car maker. And for us, the the fans, the enthusiasts, but it's also it's incredibly um, it's incredibly sad for the community affected. Um, and one of the people that really do inspire me from down in Longbridge, and um, since we're talking about that subject, is probably Gemma Cartwright, who's a real you know she's one of the main okay. people. She's one of the main people that organises Pride of Longbridge. Incredible car meet in um, Cofton Park that we go to every year. 
Um, and she is truly the one of the driving forces behind keeping all of this alive. And it's it's fantastic as well. And you sort of feed off that passion that these other people have. Mm. It's it's really it's really incredible. But yeah, back to what you said, it is incredibly sad. The only things that really remain are the Elephant House Conference Centre and the design studios at the back, as and a few basically warehouses now yeah, yeah. been completely gutted and it's in, it's incredibly sad the flight shed which was a historic building that was demolished in around december 2011 i believe and okay. that was you know that was where they um, actually built um aircraft engines in the in world war Two, hence the name right. yeah. um, and then of course they developed a lot of their their models in that building so it's it's quite sad to see something so significant torn down but mm. As many would say, as are the wheels of progress, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we've jumped ahead a little bit, um, but yeah, you said what what made you interested in in that? As I think the sorry, the, what made you interested in Rover uh, as a whole? I think what for me is my fascination with it is subconsciously I know that it's a company that was in this country. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's basically nothing left um, in terms of our car industry. I think there's one of like Morgan is is relatively close, close to me um and mm. that's really what's left and then the rest of them yeah some things are made here but the ownership of the companies are elsewhere um yeah and that's i think i think in the back of my mind i think i think that's what's made him fascinated oh it's quite it's it's it's, it's relatively close to me the, the longest factory and then you think oh something was made here and you can have a look at what what was what was done if you know what i mean and i think mm. that's what's i think that's what that's what it is for me um no one in my family had any of those vehicles. I just purchased a Rover Twenty Five last last year, the year before. Now. Good so, choice. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see what happens with it all and what's left. So I just wanted to get talk about the 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 concept car that you managed to help rescue, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Just lead me down that process. How did you? I remember watching some videos from yours. You were explaining what that the RDX sixty. Um, I, I never heard of it before mm-hmm. you made your video. But what was? One, how did you find out it was still there? And two, what led you down the the path of essentially helping to rescue it? Yeah, so it it was a few concept cars. The RDX 60 is obviously the main feature of it because that's an incredible what if. There was also the Tora concept vehicle there and the Rover, the sort of precursors, prototypes to the um, MGF, the PR1, 2 and 3, two of which were built by Reliant. And then there was the MG TFGT, um, and I believe there should be one more on that list, but no, that's correct. That's all of them. Yeah, so that's all of them there. Um, taking you down that story, basically what happened is um, somebody posted a picture on one of the groups, on one of the British Leyland um, enthusiast groups, and um, I got that picture sent to me. It was an incredibly grainy picture, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a picture of just the cars, as if it's a screenshot from a video, and it was a screenshot from, from a video. And um, after that, I just sort of wondered about them because previously, in about January 2023, I made a video called MG, MG Rover, The Lost Prototypes and Survivors, which, through the research of that, I couldn't account for the cars. The last known location was at Longbridge in 2019. So seeing these outside in 2023 in August was a real, real breakthrough and sort of kick-started it all again. So I saw that. And I made this silly Google Earth video where I sort of sat there on Google Earth trying to work out where everything was and based on these pictures and track the car's movements. And it turned out it was largely correct. So um, using that knowledge, um, 
what some one of the um, one of the people that watched me sent me a picture through the fence of what is the TCV with the other cars all boxed in. So I was like, oh, this is real. They're actually here. So I then drove down to Longbridge and, um, yeah, shouted outside of a fence for a bit, made a video on it and posted it. So I thought, oh, yeah, it's just going to, you know, it's just going to do what it's going to do, isn't it? People will be outraged. And as the culture is, um, they'll forget about it and we'll move on. But it wasn't like that. And it's just a, it's a real credit to the, the community of um, Rover enthusiasts, British car enthusiasts, that it wasn't simply just let go. Um, and then what happened is BBC West Midlands then inst- slid into my DMs on Instagram. And I was like, oh, damn, like, I'm actually getting a, you know, we were actually getting some traction here. And then they did an interview with me on radio. Um, and then they used that in, I think it was two live broadcasts on BBC West Midlands. And then two runs of the story on the radio, and then of course on their website yeah. as well, and on the social media channels. And then it gained a lot of traction to the point where people were calling MG, people were calling the British Motor Museum, and it went a bit bonkers. Wow. Um, after that, I got contacted by, um, I think it was, was it Classic Classic Car Magazine? Okay. I did an interview with them about it, and it was just really to raise awareness. And one brilliant soul thought about something, you know, that, that most campaigns would have, which is a petition. Of course, I'm not smart enough to think of that as part of a campaign that I'm su- supposedly running. So, um, yeah, somebody created Change.org pe- petition and it sort of went a bit bananas. Um, after that, we it sort of all fell silent for a bit. Um, the British Motor Museum said, yeah, we're going to take the cars on. And this is, of course, a... it's. This was happening before me. So there was like a bit of a battle for them, but it had all fallen a bit silent and they were sort of just, you know, like trudging through, you know, trying to get them to restart it. But I think, and as they attributed it um, to the community effort that, of course, was spawned from that series of videos, that was the kick they needed, the MG, MG UK team, to actually, you know, sign on the dotted line and, get the cars on loan to the British Motor Museum. So after that, it really was just radio silence. And I kind of felt like it was, felt like we'd all been abandoned a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was like, oh, well, we've done all this. And of course, the, you know, the efforts before me and every effort from the person taking the video to the person going and walking and taking a photo, every single effort is just worth just as much um, as, as the other. But... Then all of a sudden, um, I think I actually, no, I actually called the British Motor Museum and I said, uh, can we have like an update, please? Because <laughs> they're all very hush-hush. They're all very, you know, because they're a massive trust and you'd expect them to be like that. They're professionals. They're not a 25-year-old screaming on the internet like me. So I, um, I waited and waited and then they sent me an email inviting me to come down. They said, look, we've got them all here. I was like, holy, that is incredible. So they invited me down. The RDX 60, which is one of the cars that I looked at years and years ago when I was about 11 years old, um, not in person but on the internet, was there. And they took it off the trailer in front of me. We pushed it in, pushed it in, but there was a dolly on the front because obviously the car was seized. And it was absolutely amazing. They just let me have free reign of it. And it was the first ever time anybody had been that in-depth into it which yeah. was amazing, a real 
exclusive bit of content. And those guys at the British Motor Museum are really incredible. They're really passionate about what they do. Oh, yeah. And they're just fantastic people to work with. Are they on show yet for the public? Or are they still prepping them? They're still prepping them at the moment. Okay. The RDX60, they've cleaned the interior up and everything and started putting it back together. The other ones are there, they're sort of doing it as a revolt, like um, one in, one out, one in, one out. Okay. Because they, they, the amount of workload they've got in there. I mean, when I went into their um, their workshop, it was incredible the amount of cars they had. There's so many cars and so many incredibly rare cars, like the TWR XJ, I think it was a XJR, I think it was, or an XK. I can't remember. The okay. salute, the coupe. But yeah, they had some real treats in there. It was amazing. Yeah, I do enjoy that. It, it's not too far from me. Um, I do enjoy going there every now and again. Cause it's always, mm. There's always something. They've got that platform inside. There's always something different on that in that yeah. top section. So it's, yeah, It's, it's very incredible. weird because I'd never been. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I've never been. So the oh. first time I ever went there was there were like free rain. They were like, oh, yeah, you can go. I, they, they walked me around. Um, the I think it was Amy and Mark, um, two of the staff members, and they were like, yeah, you can. I was like, oh, can we look at the CCV? And they're like, yeah, you can look at the CCV. And I'm like, can we go inside it? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 I'll open it, but you can't sit in it. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to push my luck anymore. But, no, yeah, yeah it, it was it was amazing. But I've, I've never been, so it was a proper night at the museum sort of experience, but during the day and yeah, yeah. cars weren't coming to life. It yeah. was incredible. It was really, really good. Yeah, it's it's really good what they do. It's just it's good that they're sort of preserving some of the the, the motor industry we've got, what we used to have, sorry. Um, mm. And just to, for people who have never really heard of it before and coming to go and see them or or whatever, or just fans of MG Rovers. So it's it's really, really good. Yeah. And it's it's a credit to you as well for sorting that out and sort of making some sort of noise about it because mm. I wonder what would have happened if you hadn't. Like they may have just been crushed or... That's it. They could have yeah. just disappeared into the background again and sat in Longbridge until eventually, you know, they knocked the rest of it down and then decided, you know, this is this is it. We 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 don't want them here. Yeah. And get rid of them. Yeah. Tight circumstances can change, and luckily the circumstances were correct. All everything lined up perfectly. Yeah, definitely. Um, we touched on sort of the British car industry as a whole. I mean, I mentioned we don't we do make some stuff, so obviously. Um, some Jaguar stuff's made here, some um, Range Rover stuff's made here. And I went to the, um, just recently actually, I went to the Cowley factory. The Obviously that was where the Rover 75 was made. Um, mm-hmm. the, that's now the mini factory. That was quite interesting. But as I mentioned, yeah. like there's only one or two little companies which are still making things here um, properly, if you know what I mean. Um, and that sort of leads me into the process of um, what happened when Rover went bust initially in 2004. And then also mm-hmm. what you think about so what you think that MG are doing in 2024, I know it's a very, very different company than what it used to be. It's mm. basically just the name of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Think um, Thoughts about what MG's doing now? Or the, yeah, would, of well, well what, wherever going bust as a whole and then the transition into becoming what it was now, because it's quite interesting, that story um, of how it became what it is. I guess not many people know what happened really with that whole process. Yeah, so so Rover going bust yeah, yeah. in 2000 and, uh, 2005 was just an inevitability. It just was bound to happen. When um, BMW split Rover Group up, taking Land Rover Mini, the two real money makers there, um, and the missteps of the Rover brand along the way, because you've got to think it came from the, it was in the 60s in its height with the P6, which it was very cool Britannia, it was very 
Um, it was very sleek. It was very stylish. It was very middle class. Um, and the, as it the brand sort of degraded, um, classes aside and all that sort of stuff, um, the the badge being put on things like the Rover Two Hundred. Um, as much as we love these cars, I believe they should have been badged as Austins. Um, the Rover Two Hundred, the SD Three. I mean, you've got the SD One. The build quality woes on that were the first big misstep because that was a real it was almost like i mean i'm not sure if you play games you, have you ever played uh cyberpunk 2077 i have not no no no, no. if you it, the well easiest way to explain it is that car was incredibly hyped up it was car of the year in 1977 and it flopped because of the awful build quality due to the the jobs for life um culture at british Leyland at the time that they a lot of them weren't really that bothered um, and right. the management was disconnected it was just a lot of turmoil and then of course the you know you've, you've got the brand degradation of that unreliable cars being terrible rover badge on them we don't like rover then you've got it being stuck on the 216 213 sd3 which was a, a tiny compact car yeah. further degrading the brand and then the final nail, the final nail for the rover brand in the coffin was the rover 100 um, or the rover metro in the late 90s that had that awful crash test um, and ended up being taken off sale straight afterwards. So the Rover brand had degraded. And then by the time, of course, Rover Group was split up, the um, the Gaiden studio, the test track, all of the development and the staff were lost. They were given to Land Rover um, on BMW's side. So MG Rover really had nothing of... Um, Nothing in a way of developing new models, so they were they were basically stuck from the get go. Now the the money that they were given by um, BMW wasn't invested wisely. They went racing with it first, um, and it just it was one of those things. Um, the the Phoenix Four, the people that took over, and Kevin Howe, the CEO um, at the time, very controversial bunch of people. Um, but the one thing you can say about them, to their credit at least, is it kind of kept the that area of the Midlands in employment for the best part of five years. But, you know, that's a whole thing in itself. But as for what MG is doing now, it doesn't really sort of jive with me. It's it's a lot. Um, it's just a lot of badge engineering. Um, and it, you know, these cars would have been SAIC. MG is just a name at this point. Yep. It, if they can recover the brand values and recover the brand with the cyber, Cyberster or whatever it's called, who knows? Yeah, but definitely. at the minute, it's just a name that they've stapled oh, yeah. to some EVs, which is yeah. fine, but um, that, that doesn't cut it with um, enthusiasts. It will do with the general populace because everybody likes cheap stuff. And everybody likes cheap, good stuff. And the cars aren't particularly bad. Yeah, definitely. Um, just jumping back to like the when the Rover 200 came out. I remember I probably watched it for the first time. Yeah, I, th- I think you know what I'm going to talk about. But the the BBC documentary, like a six part, like a they labeled it as a comedy, which is quite funny. I don't just realise that they, <laughs> yeah, they they it was like when Rover met me and. When, yeah. when Rover met BMW, yeah. I, I watched it the first time probably a year or two ago and I watched it again and I realised the other week, I was like, oh, it's actually 
uh, read this great piece from the Intercooler, I think. They actually labelled the whole... St- and when you watch it back, knowing that it was it went to be a comedy, then you sort of, ah, right. Then you sort of get... The BBC was sort of making fun of what they were doing at the time. But mm. I found that really interesting that some... Even before that, even before the company had sort of been shoved shoved aside, that there was some actual footage captured of different things that the company was doing. I found that I found that quite interesting. Watched it for the first time, but yeah, yeah, it it was it was odd to do with the seventy five at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were hoping that BMW would be fully behind that, but the the seventy five was sabotaged on launch. The BMW chairman at the time basically just, you know, we. You, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's an incredible bit of, bit of um, it's an incredible blunder. You have a, a car company that you're instrumental in acquiring. Of course, there's some delays with production with a new, with, and development of a new car, as there always is. Um, and then you completely lampoon it at the last minute, just before it's launched, getting rid of the um, confidence in the brand that was growing at that point, and then getting rid of, um, you know, potential customers. And there was also a few other things at the time, like they didn't it, they didn't launch the classic Rover seventy five straight away, um, which was the fleet slash volume car of the mm-hmm. range. So it was quite a um, yeah, it was quite an interesting time, really. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at the very start of the episode, we sort of mentioned that we both got sort of a Mac fascination as well. I noticed on your channel mm-hmm. the very first videos you started making were about the iBooks and um, about those. So what what led to the so you started uploading some videos about tech essentially and then you sort of moved into yeah. what what made you do the tech videos to start with yeah so i actually was i was like uh self-employed basically at, at one one time and that was my job so i was yeah. traveling the country getting all these macs and refurbishing them i've always been into macs i've always been into computers computers is my main job so i um used to travel the country getting getting these macs and i thought you know this is way before. If you do, you watch a lot of um, tech YouTubers. Like, is it Luke Mayani? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good. He, like, yeah. he would do like the I got ten MacBook Airs. Let's see if we can fix them. Yeah, it was it was an earlier version of that because in one of the videos, I think I had some like twenty iBook G three clamshells. Oh really? Because just got a completely bonkers amount of stuff, and I just thought it was fascinating. So I was like, I'd I'd kind of like to just upload these, just me talking about them. Um, but with that, um, uh, the issue is when you turn your hobby into a job and you're not prepared to um, do that separation is you get burned out of the hobby quite quick. And that's sort of oh, yeah. where I ended up and why I ended up stopping. Those videos were more just for a, um, the videos were just more to document how funny it was at the time that I just got all this stuff. And it was really, really epic and people really enjoyed it. But the move to the car videos, which is just something I always wanted to do. Those videos yeah. were sort of like a, a sundry item to the the various posts and stuff I'd make in like low end Mac and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's where that's that's how I ended up where I am now. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, um, yeah. As I, as I said, very start of the episode, some of the the videos that you've produced are really really well done. And I think what mm. people will tend to um, not see is if unless they haven't produced anything themselves, how long some of that stuff must takes, like scripting and get all the research done. And then once you've done that and filmed it, and then you've got to, if you're talking about something, you've got to get all the screenshots in and put them all at the right time. I think people like 25 minute video could take you hours and hours. Um, yeah. And I think people don't realize that sometimes when they watch it for like five minutes and say, Oh, you've got this wrong. And then that was about it. And they go, Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it takes ages. And yeah, you've got to make sure you get it right because 
people do take what you say quite seriously. And oh, yeah. the last thing I'd want is to sit there and talk about, for example, the Rover Triumph Straight 6 that I talked about in the last video. Um, the last thing I want to do is add to the further, um, to, to, what's it called, to the mystery of it by getting loads of stuff wrong. Yeah. If that makes sense. So makes yeah, sense. there is, there's a lot of research that goes into it, editing, scripting, et cetera, et cetera. The, occasionally I do get things wrong, like, oh, I simply won't, you know, I think it was uh, the Rover P6. It has like, um, I think it's called like Didion's, Didion suspension. Okay. That's the, that's how you just, that's what it's called. And I just didn't want to pronounce it because I didn't want to go into this like a random French accent and then switch back to me. Yeah. So I just decided, you know, I'm just going to call it Didion suspension, um, which is correct in the English pronunciation. And I got absolutely destroyed for it. I loved it. It was funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of the video was fantastic. And it, it, there is, there is a lot of that and you've got to deal with that as part of your exposure on the internet, I guess. Yeah. It's funny how, cause, um, this podcast goes out on the Interface podcast channel, and I've got a another, another channel called the Interface Cars. So I do that mm -hmm. as well. I do car reviews of brand new cars and stuff. And if I get mm -hmm. one little thing wrong, I think I got, I got I can't remember what it was. I got one little thing wrong, and there was like three comments about that one thing. I was like, well, I mentioned that probably halfway through for like a very split second. I just had to go back and remove it because it's just I can't have that in there. Yeah, and luckily, you can yeah. do that with YouTube. So yeah, it's just it's crazy how people watch that, and then they'll even if like ninety nine percent of it's really good, and then they'll look at the 1% and think, oh, I don't know. Yeah, really a lot of people sometimes. do hyper-focus on it. And it's that, this, it's within it, some, with some things you get an older audience, if that, make, if that makes sense. So your demographic yep. of your audience is different. And they're the guys and, and girls and everything that watch like BBC or watched Thames or watched ITV and watched all these, you know, really highly produced things. And it's almost as if they think that, youtube is the same if that makes sense it's not amateur and um, to a certain degree you know you've got to have professionalism which we both do but there is an amateur nature about it, and that one makes it what it is which is what makes it so special and two um we've got basically no budget so yeah. <laughs> here we are and um we sort of do it off um you know for for the love of it and eventually yeah. yes it does turn into profit of course it does it turns into ad revenue it turns into whatever it turns into um but yeah no i do agree with you there is a lot a lot of people do hyper focus but it, it's having that confidence in your work that even if you know you accidentally go edit you breathing in out for example like i did today um i oh luckily i had time to go back and edit that but it's having that confidence that the rest of it for me anyway is the rest of it is on its own that what doesn't take away from it and in your case as well the rest of the the rest of the video is 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 good so that one tiny thing and these people hyper focusing on it yeah. um doesn't take away from the overall product does it but of course it is hard to look past that and that's um, one of the things that, you, that a lot of people just have to that struggle with and uh, same with me yeah one thing i find is i if you can i i get a second second person to look at it and just watch it back. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, thank you for my yeah. girlfriend watches my videos back through before I upload them and says, well, you got this wrong and this wrong. <laughs> oh, you look yeah. stupid there. So <laughs> it's quite useful yeah, having it's, it's someone nice watch to it have back. That. It's nice to have that sort of second opinion on it. I tend to watch them a few times before I upload them. Yeah. Um, and then once it's uploaded, I then watch them again. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I got my partner to watch them as well because she just goes through them and she's incredibly 
honest about it all. Yeah. As it sounds like your partner is as yeah. well. And that's that's really, really welcomed because it, yeah. it helps with it helps making it what it is at the, yeah. at the end product, um a bit more the end product a bit more polished and a bit more refined and that's 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 good for us and good for the for the viewer. Yeah, hundred percent. And I find I find once it's live, I start to notice the issues. So when I do a lot of writing for um, the interface and also my day job as well, and I find once I hit publish, then I read it back through. It's like, oh, I've noticed like ten different areas. I gotta go back and fix it. So it's always when it goes live yeah. that you notice the problems. Yeah, which is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Just wrapping up a little bit. Um, last thing I want to get to is you do you've been producing videos on YouTube for about four years now, I think. Um, yeah. What's what's the few things or the biggest thing that you've found that you'd like to pass on to someone else have you got any advice for anyone looking to either make videos about anything really or even if it's about cars like what's the thing that you've found that you'd like to pass on to someone don't yeah easy um, yeah. don't focus on the numbers don't yeah. sit there looking at the it, intensely viewing the viewer count don't sit there looking at the subscribers as a measure of your, yourself or your um you know of how good your stuff is it'll come good in the end and that's what that was is that's a story that um is is true with 99 percent of creators and is true with myself as well and within that 99 percent um at the start just i'd you know I'd, I'd create something really that i thought was brilliant and then not many people would watch it and i'll sit there will go well maybe this is because i'm terrible at what i do but it just wasn't it's not about that it's no. it's about being confident in that you've put something out there and taking pride in that in the creation of it mm-hmm. um rather than taking and w- of course we all like i said at the start we take we we all want views we all want subscribers we all want likes we all want comments um but it's about it is really about just not focusing on the numbers because that can lead you to an incredible burnout with when something's out of your control and you're sitting there watching it, watching it so intently, that just it just isn't healthy. It mm. really isn't. And I found myself in that situation. I'm sure a lot of other people have. So that's oh, yeah. the one thing I would say is focus on your, the craft and focus on enjoying what you do and don't focus on um, the, the numbers because that'll come in time. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think when I've started uploading videos more regularly last year um i was focused on how many views i'm getting and different things and it probably it probably doesn't it doesn't matter to start with as you said um just makes me good and in theory people will come come to the watering hole so um That's yeah. It. yeah yeah it's really good and as i mentioned it the focus and the drive that you've got behind your videos definitely it for me it definitely comes through in watching them you can Thank you. They're, they're really engaging to watch so yeah, it's really good um that's gonna do it for this episode um thank you so much tom as i said we had a long time coming i think we first emailed in april last year i think yes, <laughs> for coming on the episode but it's, <laughs> it's really good here. to get on the show yeah um really really good where can people find you online if they want to learn more about what you make and do um, instagram tom is driving cars because i am and um youtube is tom slash slash drives i'll just type in tom drives and um, leave the slashes out it's just because it looks cool um yeah. and yeah that's where you can follow me um they're my two main social media channels fantastic uh you can find the interface at the interface.uk there's news and car reviews and different things on there uh thanks everyone for joining us on this podcast or watching or listening uh, and we'll see you again ne- next time